On this episode, I've invited Justine Hamilton to interview me about the concept of shame. I look at shame as being an incredibly important emotion that pretty much universally causes people to not like themselves and become very self-destructive. So we're going to talk about all the different aspects of shame, where it comes from, how it expresses itself, and how one might be able to come to terms with the effect that it's on on your life. So again, I want to thank Justine Hamilton for coming in to ask me a ton of questions about shame and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. I think it's really important for all of us to understand the difference between shame and neglect and guilt. And I will discussing all of this on this episode. So thanks very much for tuning in. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, Dr. Dana Saperstein. Welcome, everyone. On this episode of the Fear Me Out podcast, the lovely Justine Hamilton will be asking me lots of questions about the concept of shame and how it affects our lives in a very negative way. Um, I've done a lot of thinking about shame. I think that uh, everybody I've met, whether it's personally or professionally, uh, has suffered the consequences of being shamed and uh, has had to come to terms with that horrible feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach when it seems like you can't get away from feeling judged by somebody else, whether it's a parent or a loved one or whoever it might be. So um, I prepared a bunch of questions and um, I'm going to start with Justine asking me a few questions and then we'll kind of go from there. Hi everyone. Um, Thanks for having me back, Dana. Oh, sure. It's funny. Even when you say the word shame or I say the word shame to myself, I just get this weird pit in my stomach Right. right away. And it's, I don't know, I don't get that from anything else and I don't even know what I have to be shameful about, but it's there. So I think the first thing we should do is let's, let's define it. Like what, what is shame and where does shame come from? Shame is almost always related to past experiences of feeling judged or criticized or rejected by someone. Um, people often respond to shame by pushing other people away or withdrawing or, or kind of working to preserve their uh, reputation by hiding aspects of themselves that they feel will lead to that rejection. And that starts pretty early in life. Talk to a lot of young parents about how they decide to uh, look at their children. Mm-hmm. It's very common, like, do you have a good baby or a bad baby? Mm-hmm. They don't say the word bad baby, but yes. they say, do you have a good baby? Yes. I always get nervous when I hear that because whether your baby cooperates or not is not a sign whether it's a good or a bad person. So if you start off with this notion that be a good boy or be a good girl, it's not about your behavior and whether you're cooperating or not. It's about what kind of person that you are. So if you're made to feel bad about yourself as a person, that causes you to feel shame. 
And the shame is a very toxic emotion that leads you to pretty much not like yourself, if not hate yourself, mm-hmm. and to feel really awful. Um, I think it's the genesis of what we might call low self-esteem. Wow. So you've been shamed into submission. And can only other people make us feel shameful? Well, I, I think that once we've been shamed enough, well, then we start to shame ourselves. Okay. Uh, because if, you know, if you're made to feel bad about yourself, you're going to believe what people tell you, especially if you're a little kid. Then you're going to start looking at yourself as being deficient in some way. Yeah. And oftentimes for a lot of kids... Even in good families, if they're made to feel ashamed of themselves, they start to change who they are in order to try to please their parents and get their parents' approval. But the, the trap in that is that you can't trust the love that you get if it's based on a performance exactly. as opposed to being the person that you are. But most of us create a false self as a result of the shame that we've experienced as uh, small children. And then we go through life not ever believing that anybody really loves us because we don't show people who we really are because... Um, we've been made to feel like who we are is not adequate. Is, is that pretty typical? Uh, I would say it's more than pretty typical. It's a varying degrees. I think it affects everybody. Wow. Because I don't think most people understand the difference between shame and guilt. So what is that? What's the difference? Well, uh, guilt has to do with what you did or didn't do. Okay. And that you know, and that you should feel bad about that, which is the only thing that helps a person develop a conscience, like an action feeling guilty about something that I did or didn't do. Or, you know, realizing you should have done something or didn't do whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, The only way to get a kid to start taking responsibility for him or herself is by sort of encouraging them to feel guilty about, you know, whacking their brother over the head or whatever it might be. (laughs) Um, But not to make them feel bad about themselves. But it's, I mean, when my kids were little, I used to talk to them all the time about cooperation. No, I'm sure they had no idea what the heck I was talking about when I would say, mm-hmm. you're not cooperating. <laughs> but they certainly got the message that I wasn't happy with their behavior. Yes. But I tried every way possible for them to not dislike themselves just because I was taking issue with the way that they were uh, behaving or not behaving. Um, because I didn't want them to feel like they were bad children. Yeah. Because bad children become adults who don't like themselves. So how, how did you do that versus just saying... Well, I never said they were bad. I never right. called them names. I didn't never hit them. I never... I did everything I could to avoid them feeling ashamed of themselves. And when, and when I would tell them that I didn't appreciate their behavior, I would say to them, you know, you're part of this family and you're not cooperating. Yeah. And it's really hard, you know, for us to function when you're, you know, when you're not getting dressed or when you're not doing the kind of stuff that you're supposed to do. Yes. Yeah, so you didn't I'm not make mad at you. Yeah. I'm, I'm mad at the fact that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Or that you just did something that I'm not happy with. Yeah. That sort of thing. Because then I don't want, I mean, I remember being horribly shamed as a kid. You do? Oh, God, all the time. That's how my parents disciplined me. Just through shame. Uh, not yeah. guilt, through shame. Yeah, they never hit me. They they never, well, they, they tried to sort of maybe ground me. Mm-hmm. But when they did that, I would just climb out the window. <laughs> and they would pretend like it wasn't happening. Do you know my son? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when... Like, I remember I, I hated having to go to Hebrew school as an example. Hated mm-hmm. it. I thought it was the stupidest waste of time. If I had to choose between being on a baseball field or going to a stupid Hebrew school after regular school, yes, I just hated it. It was such an insult and a <laughs> waste of time. And what my parents would say to me, we never ask you to do anything. This is the only thing we ever ask you to do. You have the best life and, and you need to do this for your mom. And I would oh, remember just feeling like I got punched in the stomach. Yes. 
And did um, you do it? Would you go? Well, I had to because right. they, you know, they made me feel so bad about myself. Yeah. Of course, when they dropped me off to Hebrew school, my friend and I would, you know, not, we need, we didn't go to class. Yeah. We McDonald's. just pretended like we did. That's what I would do. Right? <laughs> we, uh, they were building the freeway near the temple. So we'd go play on the freeway yeah. and we'd come back to the car two hours later. And my parents would how'd you get so dirty? Oh, you know, <laughs> it was during recess. We were playing outside. Outside, so, yeah. You know, that's just an example of yeah. how I was shamed in the name of God, I guess, in a, in a certain way. It certainly made me hate uh, my religion and, and resent being raised in that way. Yeah. That makes sense. Because it just made me feel bad about myself. And how is that any sort of connection to, to God and feeling grateful about anything? Right. So, so how, how would shame be triggered? Just internal, like, bad feelings or? Well, who, what kind of person, what kind of kid doesn't want to do something that his mother wants him to do? I don't know. Right, when it's the <laughs> only thing that we ask yeah. of you. Yeah. Right. And when they found out that it was later on, as another example, when I was in junior high and high school and I was getting high all the time, I would come home and I would be really high, which was fairly obvious. I mean, I'm sure they could tell. Mm -hmm. And instead of talking to me about it, they would say, oh, you've been doing something you shouldn't have been doing oh, gosh. You know, to try to make me feel really bad about myself rather than my behavior. Yeah. And my mom used to say to me, like, where do you get the syringes to shoot that stuff? Oh, my gosh. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck is oh wrong with gosh. these people? I said, I never shot anything. Well, then what do you do with that marijuana stuff? Wow. Right? So I, I, how do you take somebody seriously when they're so ignorant? Yeah. Um, but want you to feel bad about yourself? Yeah. Because it's kind of the Jewish way to make your kids feel bad about themselves. Well, I mean, and then, but that is like shame and guilt kind of all rolled up in one, isn't yeah. it? Well, it felt way more personal than just behavioral. Yeah. It felt like they were telling me I was a bad person. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't feel good It didn't good work for so well. No. It certainly didn't make me want to cooperate with right. them. Right, right. That's for sure. So just the shame feeling would just trigger all sorts of bad feelings inside of you and at uh -huh. the same time not work because it didn't really make you want to cooperate. Well, for me, because I was a super rebellious person, mm. a lot of times what it does is cause people to just shut down and go through the motions of trying to please their parents because it makes them feel so bad. And then what happens? Let's say... It can turn into depression, anxiety, feelings of, you know, not being very valuable. Mm -hmm. Certainly not feeling loved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because um, there's nothing loving about shame. Right. When you hit a kid, it's the same thing. It makes that child feel like they're not worth being loved. Yeah. Because there's nothing a child has ever done that deserves physical punishment. Right. They're children. So the so the crime is all, I mean the punishment is always worse than the yeah than the crime. Yeah. It makes people feel really bad about themselves. Right. And I mean and the parents too. I mean it's usually a reaction to something that they do that and then uh -huh. they're the ones that end up feeling shameful because they know it didn't help and it they're <clears throat> hitting their child and so then the yeah. shame gets also transferred on to them, I think. Well, I remember once this young man came to see me. He was in high school. And every day he would throw up on the way to school. And nobody could figure out why he was throwing up. And it turns out that when he was four, three, four years old, he was terrified of going to sleep by himself. Super lonely, really scared. So he'd go into his parents' room and try to get in bed with them. And his father was a super macho guy and finally said to him, you know, if you do this again, I'm going to take up my belt. I'm going to belt you. Wow. And so he did it again. And his father belted the crap out of him and sent him back to bed. And then he started sneaking out and going to sleep with his older sister because he was terrified. So scared. And the dad caught him in, the, in his 
sister's bedroom one night and, you know, dragged him out to bed and beat the crap out of him with a belt. And then they hung the belt on the back of the door just to remind him of what was going to happen to him. And so he would just lay in bed and stare at the belt in a complete terror. And by the time he was in high school, what what I didn't understand is that the reason he was throwing up is because he was smoking heroin every day. And when you smoke heroin, it makes you throw up. Wow. He never told anybody that. He didn't understand that if you smoke heroin, you can get addicted to it. He thought only shooting it up was the way that you could become addicted. So he told himself it wasn't that big of a deal. But he was throwing up every morning because that's what narcotics do to you. And he started doing that to deal with his own shame? or I think it was, you know, having to do with the trauma he suffered Mm -hmm. as a result of being made to feel like a really weak, pathetic person in his father's eyes. Yeah. No, I know it's a bit more complicated than that, but... That was the genesis of a lot of his feelings of being a really weak, shame-filled yeah. person. Yeah, that's a pretty extreme example huh? Yeah. of just... But I don't think it's as unusual as you might think. Wow. Because I will say to you, everybody I have met suffers from feeling shamed, and that leads to so many different symptoms that we all have psychologically. Really? It's very universal. What, what are some of those symptoms? And every, almost everyone you know... You yeah, feel I mean, from some shame. Who feels like they deserve the love that they yeah. are craving all the time? Right. I mean, even the concepts of dependency and needing other people mm-hmm. has been linked to being a weak, shameful right. person. It's so sad, isn't it? Well, it's our nature to be dependent. Right. I mean, I think. Yeah. You know, we're born not as predators. We're born as prey, and prey can only survive in groups. Yeah. But because we've invented houses and condos, we don't live in groups anymore. Right. And that gets carried over to the the notion of independence in the United States, which is incredibly unhealthy. Yeah, it's a badge of honor. Right. Yeah. And so if I need another person, I should feel really ashamed of my weakness. Right. And so we're, we're doomed to, to hate ourselves for our nature. Yeah. Something we have nothing that we can do about it. Right, right. That, which just causes so, more shame. Which causes more shame, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because it then, you know... It make, it just makes us feel bad. There's a, a component of shame that I think is really important. And that's that it's triggered by a sort of a perceived break in your connectedness to other people and yourself. Will you repeat that one more time? It's, it's compounded by the feelings of, of being concerned about being evaluated. Okay. Either by yourself or by other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's an emotional experience of a, another person's disdain or discussed, or, you know, whether it's real or imagined, it doesn't matter because when we're young, we internalize those feelings. And then they become a huge part of how we see it ourselves. Most of the shame that we suffer is really tied back to past experiences of feeling judged and criticized and rejected. So this starts early on. It starts right from the beginning. Yeah. As another extreme sort of example, there are some moms who can't really connect with their infants in any real sort of a way. So they feed their babies when they're hungry rather than when the baby's hungry. Oh. And that happens more than you can imagine because a lot of times it's really hard for people to connect. Um, and so what that teaches the, the infant right from the beginning is that um, their job is to take care of the mom right. rather than right. the other way around. Right. When my wife was a pediatric nurse, as an example, always there was one baby that was diagnosed as having failure to thrive. Mm -hmm. And um, the doctors acted like it was a huge mystery why these babies failed to thrive. 
because they'd bring them into pediatrics and all the pediatric nurses were lovers of children and babies. Yeah. So they would love these babies back to health, even though yeah. when they were first brought in, they were shriveled up and dying. And there was no medical treatment. All it was was a rest from the loneliness and isolation of the life that they were living under their mother's and father's care. And so these babies would come back to life again. they go home, and then they start to shrivel up again. Wow. And they'd be brought back in the hospital. And then usually after a year or so, those babies learn to disconnect to the point where they could still survive mm-hmm. um, and just go through, go through life. And the doctors always pretended like they had no idea why this was a problem. But do you think they knew? It's well, the I don't same. know if they did or didn't, but none of them ever said, hey, you know, maybe your baby's not thriving because you guys are not connecting well yeah. on an emotional level. But that was always the same profile. It was Always, always. And they discovered this actually in World War II after the war. There were tons of orphan babies mm-hmm. in Germany, as an example. And they all got put in, in uh, uh, church orphanages. And they invented these slings where they would put the baby in a sling and have the bottle in the baby's mouth because there were so many of them, there wasn't right. enough people to take care of them. Right. And all these babies started shriveling up and dying and they couldn't figure out why until they started holding the babies. Wow. And then the babies were okay. Yeah. That's... Because we are so helplessly dependent right from the beginning of right. our lives. Right. And it's such a source of shame and weakness in our world, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If, Let's say a child is born and the parents are great and amazing and there isn't any uh-huh. shame. The parent, they've done everything about that. And then that person reaches teenagehood or, or adulthood and all of a sudden their teachers are shaming them or their friends are shaming them or boss shames them. Uh-huh. How, how will they move through shame? Will it be different than if they'd felt it their whole life? Will they be a little bit more immune to it or will it be as bad as if they'd been shamed their whole life? Uh, it depends on how the person feels about themselves. Okay. If you have a really strong sense of self and you feel really connected to your family and you feel like you, by the time you're a teenager, you're pretty much become who you're going to be in, mm-hmm. by and large, mm-hmm. then it's easier to withstand the shame than it would be if you feel uh, shy or insecure or whatever it might be. But does it have to be the connection back to the family? What if it's a connection to... Well, I mean, uh, again, your ability to stand up for yourself has to do with the way that you were raised and yeah. whether you are allowed to stand up for yourself. Right. Because even in families that are, you know, in quotes, normal and healthy, mm-hmm. a lot of families are really inhibited when it comes to conflict. You're right. And so if you're taught that conflict is bad, which is you're made to feel ashamed about getting angry as a kid then it's going to be hard to stand up for yourself because you're going to run into that idea that conflict is not something that it's yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's a sort of a more complicated in that way. But, you know, kids that get bullied, mm-hmm. the reason it affects them so much is because they're made to feel ashamed of who they are. Right. And anybody that has any kind of weakness or difference is usually made to feel really terrible when they're children at yeah. school or with friends. Yeah. So is shame always related to trauma or no? Uh, I've never met a person that has not experienced a ton of shame in the face of trauma. Because oftentimes, like if you're molested as a child, Mm -hmm. you're told that you asked for it or that if you tell anybody about it, that uh, you can kill your dog or something terrible is going to happen to you. Yeah. When I was four and I got molested, I was told that if I said anything, that I was going to be killed. Mm -hmm. 
And so I did everything I could to not be killed, obviously. Right. Um, including completely erasing the memory from my from my yeah. conscious mind. And yeah. that didn't emerge until I was in my 30s. So that shaming and fear of dying, being put to death, was pretty powerful, inhibiting experience. Right. I don't know if, if your kids ever watched Nickelodeon when they were little. Mm-hmm. They used to slime people. Mm-hmm. And... I always thought, man, these people understand shame really well. Because <laughs> they would shame these kids by pouring goop Just, over yeah, their heads. Yeah, I don't think they realized the damage they were doing to those kids by no. making them feel like, you know, because we'd all laugh because they got slimed. Right. It's like a modern day carry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But being slimed is being shamed. It's yeah. just a physical way of doing it as opposed to, because it feels really slimy and yucky to be shamed. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. No. At all. No. Some of the causes of shame, I think, have to do with childhood trauma or neglect. Okay. Right? If you're neglected, you're going to feel like you don't deserve to be loved, and that's going to make you feel ashamed of yourself. Mm -hmm. If you are harshly treated, it's going to make you feel bad about yourself and make you feel ashamed of yourself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those kind of things really make you feel self-critical, not living up to the standards that are set for yourself. It causes perfectionism in a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of the other side of it? For some people, shame causes you to become perfectionistic with the fantasy that if you're just perfect, then you don't have to feel that sense of inadequacy and shame. And unfortunately, there's no such thing as perfection. Right. And so it's a, you know, when you worship the God of perfection, you're always going to be a failure. Right. And then there's shame because you're not reaching what you're, Right. And sadly, a lot of religions are based in the concept of shame. And I'm not trying to pick pick on Catholicism as an example, but it's a really easy example (laughs) to use because you're born in sin. Yeah. And and you're punished not just for your actions, but for your thoughts, which you have no control over. Yeah. Right. You can try to stop a thought once it's there, but you can't control what comes in your head. And if you're damned from the get go. It's a really good way of controlling people by making them feel ashamed of themselves. That feels pretty shameful. I yeah. mean, you just, there's there's nothing you can do with what's going on in your head. Yeah. So, yeah, out I mean, of the I mean, gates. Once you make people feel really bad about themselves, then you can control them. And it works really well. Yeah. And most religions, do you feel like, are sort of rooted in so. shame? I believe that because I think that most religions have been invented by men. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of men have a lot of insecurity about their power and their need for power. So because they're smart, they come up with ways of manipulating us in the name of God. And I'm again, I'm not saying that all religion is bad, but I have an issue with some of the ways that uh, the people that invented these religions um, express them. I once worked in an office, and uh, one of the women that worked in the office was, she was a super born-again Christian person, and she was lovely, and we had a really fun time together. Until she found out that I was Jewish. Okay. And and I told her, you know, I have a really strong faith. I believe in God, not because I'm Jewish, but because I have. And she said, well, that that's not possible. Because if you don't accept Jesus in your heart, you're going to hell and you're lost forever. And in her way of looking at things, it was completely black and white. It sounds like she was shaming you. She tried really hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm sadly, I had a client once who came here with a ton of trauma. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of hypnosis and she progressed really well. And in our very last visit, she came in sobbing. And I was thinking, wow, I thought she was leaving because she was doing so well. She was sobbing because I have not accepted Jesus into my heart. Oh, wow. So she gave me a brand new Bible. 
And she said, you have to promise me you're going to read this because I'm so terrified that you're going to go to hell when you die. And I kept, you know, I kept thinking to myself, this is insane. Yeah. Right? The yeah. idea that there's only one way. Yes. And all of that stuff. And I said to her, you know, I'm really sorry. I appreciate the gift, but I'm not going to look at it. I'm I have no interest. to see if I it's see still, it in here. It's still sit- <laughs> I think I actually put it in the drawer somewhere. Right? Because <laughs> I have no interest in, in, yeah. in, that's just not my way. But she was so bereft because, in her mind, she was shamed into believing that there's only one way to connect with God. And if you don't do it that way, something really terrible is going to happen to you. Yeah. So how do people sort of move through life with this idea or, you know, they've been shamed and they have it internally and they don't even really know? Like, what does that look like in someone's life? Well, in in a religious sense, there's lots of jokes about what we call Jewish guilt or Catholic guilt, mm-hmm. but I think it's a misnomer. I think it's actually shame, not guilt. Interesting. You need t-shirts made up. Yeah. <laughs> because, I, you know, guilt is, in moderate doses, the only reason why we have a civilized society. So if you don't teach your children or, or require them in doses to feel guilty, they're not going to develop a conscience. Right, right. Because there's all kinds of evidence, like people that have... Uh, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome is an example. If you're born that way, you can't read social cues as a as mm-hmm. a small child. Mm-hmm. If you can't read social cues, then you're not going to ever feel guilty about anything. So the likelihood of becoming a sociopath because you can't feel guilty is astronomical. And they've done right. tons of studies in prison about people right. um, and have found that the lion's share of them were raised in a fetal alcohol environment. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah. I, I had no idea that... Um, and those are only the ones that are not that bright, right? The ones that come from fetal alcohol that are really smart, they do the white-collar crimes, they don't get caught, yeah. Yeah. right? And that's not the only reason, obviously, that a person would be uh, a sociopath. But if you can't read clues and you can't understand the concept of guilt, then you're never going to become a civilized human being. Yeah. So it really is a fine line balancing yes. between shame between and guilt. Between shame and guilt. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's, um, I think it is a, a definitive line. Because guilt is about whether you're behaving or not behaving. It's not about you personally. Mm -hmm. You're not a bad boy or a bad girl because you set your house on fire. Right. Would anyone (laughs) ever say, oh gosh, shame made me try harder or I I would say that they would say guilt did, but not shame. Okay. Because shame causes people to hide uh, from cultural norms as an example. It leads to perceptions of brokenness and being a bad person. And empathy is the opposite of shame. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I uh, try to help people uh, come to terms with is learning how to be empathetic as opposed to living in that shame. I mean, how do you do that? That's Well, by helping people understand that a lot of the times the shame that they feel um, came out of, it's not their fault. Okay. It's like, you know, those people that go to prison... And we do DNA testing 20 years later and realize, holy shit, this person's been innocent. The only person in jail that actually really is innocent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and they find out that the person was really innocent. Imagine what that person must feel like yeah. to have been penalized to that degree yeah. when they were innocent. And most people I meet that have suffered trauma feel like they have been shamed into a place of self-hate and self-loathing for their whole their whole life. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, what I try to help them see is that it's a case of mistaken identity. Yeah. 
that you didn't really do anything. No, I had something like that happen to me when I was a kid. And I remember this and I was accused of something I did not do. And the adults wouldn't believe that I didn't do it. I knew that I didn't do it. Uh No one ever believed me. And I still remember to this day, like how bad that felt. Yes. That they just, they wouldn't, they wouldn't believe me. And it yeah. was, you know, it's, you remember some things from your childhood so vividly. And that yes. was a really strong one. But think about how shamed you felt as a result of that. I, I, I'm sure I did. I mean, obviously, but I also was just, it was more, I guess it went even deeper where it's like, you don't believe me. Uh-huh. And it's not shame about what the act was. Cause I know I didn't do it. But it was just like, if you don't believe me, I don't trust you anymore uh-huh. because I, I'm sitting here telling you the truth and you won't believe right, me. Right. So, you know, that it may have switched something in me. I don't remember um, where I was just like, if I can't trust them to recognize my truth, right. then I'm sure I felt, I, I mean, I know I felt like crap, how that uh-huh. manifested over the years. Right. Who knows? Well, when you have moments like that, sometimes they can be very salient in terms of realizing you you may love someone, but you can't trust them. Mm-hmm. And that can yeah. set the tone for relationships moving forward in a very powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what happened. Because I don't remember, I, I, I didn't have any shame around, because I didn't do it. So I, uh, you know, there was no shame with that, but it was more just, I was just, I think I kind of something switched or was like, right. Forget it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, if you don't trust me, I don't trust you. Well, and um, if you think about shame, it makes you really self-conscious and it makes you look at yourself as a bad person mm-hmm. rather than somebody who's not cooperating. Right. And there's a really big difference between, you know, recognizing that you're not cooperating and looking at yourself as inadequate or bad in some way. Yeah. Cause that doesn't go away. And it doesn't matter how much people tell you they love you or that they tell you you're wonderful because if in, you've internalized that shame, mm-hmm. the love and the goodwill bounces off until you come to terms with the pain of being shamed because it is a form of deep, deep trauma. And do you feel as life goes on, that sort of feeling gets even deeper and deeper and greater? Well, yeah, because then lots of people become self-destructive as a result of feeling the shame. Mm-hmm. And so they compound uh, right. Then those there's bad feelings yeah. because then they start acting right. like a, in quotes, bad person. Right. right. And so, yeah, it makes things a lot worse. It can also lead to depression and anxiety and yeah. other stuff like that because um, it just does not feel good to live in a place of shame. Yeah. Um, back in the 80s, there was a guy, he was one of those guys who was on PBS and, and, and you know, was selling videotapes back in the day all about shame. Okay. He, he wrote a book called Healing the Shame That Binds You. Okay. Because from his perspective, shame is also responsible for a lot of addiction in people. Okay. What do so you So that people that? people medicate themselves in order not to feel the shame that they have incurred in the course of their lives. That sounds right to me. Yeah, I think he was onto something. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people that I've met that were not overtly abused but neglected. I mean, if you want to hurt somebody and make them feel really bad about themselves, then treat them like they don't matter. Yeah, that's the worst feeling. It just kills us as children to yeah. be to be seen and not heard. Right, right. right. Like back in the olden days. <laughs> right. It's the same thing when there's a whole push now to create independence really early in a, 
infant's life, mm-hmm. sleep training and all that crap. And I say crap because I believe it's incredibly harmful. Sorry, I did it. <laughs> I know. I mean, no offense. But what I will say to you is that until you are at a certain age, you're not capable of being able to uh, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that kids learn to disconnect from themselves very early in order to fall asleep. That's not healthy. You don't want to learn to disconnect in order to cope with fear right. and uh, loneliness. Right. But that's what it does. It sets a tone for that. Not for everyone, but for a lot of kids, they end up feeling, you know, they see you going to bed with your partner. Mm-hmm. Well, why would they not want to be in, in a nice warm bed with somebody else? Yeah. But they're not allowed to because they don't deserve it. Yeah. Or because they're not independent yet or whatever the pediatricians <laughs> come up with. Because I think it's driven by doctors who. Yeah, who, but it's really early on. Uh-huh. I mean, the sleep training is literally done by 12 weeks. Yes, but I can tell you from my own experience that in your row, mm-hmm. you can be shamed into deep self-hate. As my experience, I've talked about this on the podcast more than once, that when I was in my mom's uterus and she was having a fight with my dad and uh, she believed that she was ugly and that my dad was having an affair with his secretary because she was pregnant with me. Right. And I have such a distinct memory yeah. of through the umbilical cord feeling this just awful, dark that feels crappy. poison. Mm-hmm. And I was born allergic to my mother's milk. Mm-hmm, I remember. And I almost died because I could not get nutrients from her. Yeah, talk about failure um, to thrive. Yeah. And so I think I was already primed to be the pain manager in my family before I was even born. Right. And I know that this is real because when I first remembered, I told my wife, and she said, you can't remember stuff like that. And I said, well, I, I can only tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, she was having lunch with my mom. And my mom told her the whole story. That's so crazy. It, except for the part of poisoning me. Yeah. Because yeah. she didn't know. Right. But I was taking her pain on before I was even born mm-hmm. and trying to help her feel less ugly and, and pathetic because right. my dad, he didn't value her. Yeah. Even though they stayed married for 25 years or whatever. <laughs> it was just to torture each other. So... It's a, it's a really sad system. Yeah. Um, things that are also important to understand that what shame causes people to feel envy. Okay. It causes people to feel anger and rage and anxiety. And it can also lead to really deep sadness because, again, if you feel really ashamed of yourself, you're not going to feel like you deserve the kind of love that um, the world has to offer. So envy, anger, rage, yeah. sadness. Uh-huh. I mean, shame sounds like the mother load. It is. It's like shame is where it all starts. I really do believe that. Um, Some of the things that people feel ashamed about when they become adults is um, some people feel shame about money and not having enough. Mm -hmm. They feel ashamed of themselves that they're not as successful as they would like to It's a big one, I would say, yeah? Yeah. Some, Some people feel ashamed of their families. Right. I know lots of people who never brought kids home to their house mm-hmm. because what was happening at their house was either an alcoholic person or some yeah. something awful that they were made to feel horribly ashamed of. Yeah. And so they just tried to avoid it by not exposing it. And a lot of times with addiction, there's so much shame in the family that they sort of either overtly or covertly make sure their kids don't ever bring anybody home. And they're not allowed to talk about it in any way, which just creates so much anxiety. And do you feel like, I know, you know, we're hearing more and more today about anxiety and depression Uh in in everyone. Right. 
Do you think this is all, do you think the shame game has gotten worse? Um, no, I just think our awareness has gotten greater. Our awareness around feeling anxious or depressed. Well, yeah, part of it. And the other, uh, the other part of it is that um, I think in the past, although I haven't lived that long, religious shame was so much of a part of our society. You know, there was only one way to be and one way to think. And that if you deviated from that, you were made to feel really like a bad person. Yeah. And, um, I mean, think about what it must have been like to be gay in the 50s. Right. Or whatever. I mean, or people, like the 80s. Or, or they, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or even now. Yeah. Or even now. Right. Because any time that you are different than the norm. Yeah. Or think about the concept of sensitivity. Every single person that I work with that is sensitive by nature has been made to feel horribly ashamed of themselves. I know that. Yeah. yeah. It's Either I've, overtly or covertly. Yeah. And that's like sensitivity is such a beautiful attribute, but you're right. I've, uh-huh. I've, I've become more in tune with that in relationships yeah. and friendships and no one feels good about being sensitive. No. When well, really it's, unless I have something to do with it. Right. Right. Because <laughs> my job is to work with sensitive people and help them understand what an incredible gift it is. Yeah. But for lots of people, they can appreciate the gift part. But they hate the sensitivity part because it makes them feel different, which it, it is a difference. Yeah. And it makes them feel like there's something wrong with them because, you know, if you're a really sensitive person by nature, some people are going to be afraid of you just because they have secrets that they would prefer not to have be revealed. Mm-hmm. And if you're a very empathic person and you can divine what that person's secrets might be, they're going to avoid you. Yeah. And that can create a lot of social anxiety and discomfort and feelings of shame like there must be something wrong with me because i get a, I, I get excluded a lot from people right right and again i've joked many times about the idea i can empty out a room like nobody's business <laughs> all i gotta do is tell them what i do for a living <laughs> and people can't get away from me fast enough yeah. a lot of the time yeah because so many people feel that so shamed about the secrets that they carry yeah i've never met a single person that's been sexually abused that doesn't believe that it was their fault that's so crazy and so sad. And other types of abuse also. Because that's just the way we are as children. We just assume that we're the problem. Yeah. And we're often told that we're the problem. Right. How do we work through the shame in our life? Well, I think that the most important thing you can do is kind of try to become aware of how much that you carry. Because like on a physical level, when you meet somebody who's kind of slumped in their sort of shoulders and, and lower their heads and look down and avoid eye contact and maybe are a little bit hesitant. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that's a sign that the, per- a sign that the person feels really bad about Gosh, themselves. Gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, you see those people. All the time. All the time. And, the, and generally speaking, those are sensitive people that have been made to feel like there's yeah. something really, really wrong with them. Yeah. So you can see it in the way we carry our bodies sometimes, um, which is really quite sad because, and go to a school and look at kids. Right. It's so easy to see the kids that feel you know, really ashamed of themselves. So what could someone do? Let's say I'm, I'm thinking of someone in particular who has that body posture. Is there anything that I could do or say to that person? Well, it depends on what kind of relationship you have with that person. Friendly ish. Like, are you talking about an adult or a kid? An adult. Um, well, I mean, however comfortable you are letting that person know how much you value them. And how sad that you feel that they seem not to feel very good about themselves. Yeah. And is there anything that you can do to to sort of help them feel better about themselves? 
because we can't just assume that people want our help. I know I get a problem with that. I know. Well, and I understand <laughs> that because it's so easy when you're a sensitive person to see how people are walking through the world. Yeah. But ultimately it's up to the person to It takes a lot of courage to deal with your shame. Yeah. Because you have to get to a place where you realize that all this time you've been blaming the wrong person. Right. Not that you want to blame your parents or I mean I'm not interested in people crucifying their parents unless the person you know was a deliberate abuser and all that stuff but generally speaking parents don't have the intention of causing harm yeah they just have a way of looking at the world and their parents probably did as well and they want their kids to look at the world the same way they do so in your practice when you start with a new patient Uh uh-huh do they usually do do they usually start talking about the shame right away or how does it unfold where I have to help them understand most of the time of how much shame that they carry. And how do you do that? By pointing it out. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be smart ass, but <laughs> by pointing it out to them and okay. helping them understand that so many of their behaviors are shame-based. So someone will come in and say, uh, oh God, I feel awful about myself or I'm drinking uh-huh. too much or uh-huh. whatever. And you're like, no, 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 this isn't about the drinking and feeling bad. It's about the shame beneath all of that. And that's why you're doing these things. So let's talk about what's underneath that. I mean, again, my approach is really different than most therapists in that most therapists would treat the symptom mm-hmm. and not even consider what the genesis They'd of say, the symptom They'd say, go to is. AA and... Right, manage the alcoholism. Uh-huh. I would way rather help the person understand that the reason they developed a relationship with alcohol, as an example, in the first place is because they were super lonely. Right. And felt unlovable. AKA shame. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And felt like, you know, that they live in the world in a really isolated way and, and that they have to find a way to medicate themselves because things feel so, so terrible in yeah. that regard. Yeah. So I'm a little bit different than most in that I believe symptoms are important, obviously, but that's not what I focus on. So right away, people who come to see me either appreciate the looking at things on a deeper level or they don't. Right. I mean, I've had a fair number of people refer to me for what's called anger management. Right. Okay. And there's anger management courses and all that stuff. And people have been made to feel ashamed of how angry they are. Mm-hmm. And my response is, you're not an angry person at all. And they look at me like, well, what the fuck are you talking about? I mean, I almost went to jail because, <laughs> and <laughs> my response someone. is, you're scared. Mm-hmm. You're a really frightened person who's in a lot of pain. Yeah. And you've learned to flip the switch between vulnerability and power by getting angry because it helps you feel like you have some control over how much shame and bad feelings you have about yourself. And then I would assume, depending on the person, that is an unpacking where I think uh-huh. some people clear as day pretty quickly and other people it's like, no, 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 I'm mad. I'm angry, yeah. yes. Well, and men especially sometimes have a hard time admitting fear because uh-huh. they've been made to feel ashamed of their fear. yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I do my best to help people understand that their symptoms are not the main, I mean, their symptoms are problematic. Don't get me wrong. I don't like, it's not a good idea to walk through the world raging. Right. But people can very quickly understand that they're compensating and then start to work on learning how to be vulnerable and understanding why it's so hard and why they feel so scared and, and what makes it so difficult for, you know, for them to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. The symptoms take care of themselves if you help the person feel more safe in the world. It's just a different philosophy than the way I was 
drained. So I would say shame is huge in your practice. Is, yeah. is, is it ever not? Again, I've never met a single person that doesn't walk around with a certain amount of shame. Yeah. You can see it really clearly in people. Not, I mean, it's, I mean, some people walk around, you know, all puffed up right. and being bullies and stuff like that. Those are usually the most shame-filled people that you're going to meet. Yeah. Because they're it totally overcompensating is. for those feelings of weakness. Yeah. I mean, if you could interview people that are in the Ku Klux Klan or, you know, those proud boy idiots and all that, <laughs> those are people that have been made to feel so small. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, there are politicians who know how to take advantage of their weakness by propping them up and making them feel like they have some value of some sort. And it's easy to manipulate people who feel bad about themselves. Right. And it works really well. And if you're a narcissist, that your whole life is about, you know, garnering power and admiration. And so people like that are really easy prey. Wow. So someone can be a narcissist and be shameful at the same time. Well, I think if you could distill narcissism down to its essential oils, Mm. you would experience the kind of self-hate that would make you spontaneously combust because it would be so deep and so ever-present that there's no way in the world you could survive it. And I think that that's why people that have personality disorders, it's humanly impossible for them to know that that's what's wrong with them. So they fraction off. Because, Because if you are damaged to that degree... Your defenses are always there to keep it external. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And that's lifelong. Mm-hmm. So people that say they can treat people with personality disorders, I say, good luck to you with that one. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think you're going to ever help anybody develop a sense of self who does not have one. So what do we do? How do we get better? Be careful. Don't elect people like that mm-hmm. into positions of power. <laughs> Because then they're going to invade other countries and do all kinds of other stupid shit that <laughs> that helps them feel powerful and yeah. invincible. Yeah. And that's everywhere. Right. Because people that are like that usually are the most powerful, successful people in the world. Because they have such an inordinate need to overcompensate for the self-hate that they never feel. Because mm-hmm. it's always externalized. What about, always. this is a kind of off topic, but what do you think about like actors or celebrities who... Well, I think that the most famous ones mm-hmm. that we admire the most mm-hmm. usually have personality disorders. Brad Pitt, we're not talking to you. <laughs> if you I'm just kidding. If you look at the way that they live yes. and how disposable their relationships are. Yes. And how they go from one to the next and how many of them end up in rehab and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it's really hard to live as a broken person. Yeah. And the reason why they're so good at what they do is because they don't have a sense of self. Mm-hmm. And so if you give somebody a script and they're really good mimic, they can become what's on the piece of paper mm-hmm. and be that mm-hmm. to the point where we can't tell the difference between acting and what's real for them yeah. because there is no difference. Right, right. But if you and I decided to become actors and actresses, we would fail miserably because there's too much of us that would get in the way. Yeah. Unless we're really talented at, at mimicry also. Right. But the ones that are the, at the top of the heap, generally speaking, are not the most put-together people. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I'm sorry to be so negative, but it's true in, in, I mean, in athletics and any, anybody that rises to the top in business, all of that. Mostly people that don't have a conscience. Mm-hmm. And so they have tons of shame, but they don't feel any of it because mm-hmm. it's all externalized to the people around them. Yeah. And they treat people like objects that are disposable. And so if you don't cooperate with them, off with your head. Yeah. Especially if they're like a malignant narcissist. 
you know, just kill people that get in your way. If you live in a kind of country where that's uh, acceptable. Yeah. So far we don't. Well, not in the way that we might be aware of. <laughs> that's true. But don't kid yourself. I know. Uh, I know. You know, there's Pollyanna. a lot that happens that you and I will never know because <laughs> it's not part of our world. So uh, getting back to the shame being the core of narcissism, I think it really is. Okay. But it's at the core. But the person that has that kind of malady will never know because their defenses are all designed to keep it beyond their awareness. But for the average person who doesn't have a personality disorder, symptoms of shame are like wanting to disappear Mm -hmm. because it feels so yucky to be inside yourself. And that's when drugs, alcohol, et cetera, come into play. And anger is a really common reaction to shame also because uh, shame makes you feel weak and anger is a way of overcompensating for that weakness. Yeah. So getting back to that notion that there's not a lot of really angry people. There's a lot of scared yeah. people that cover it up with anger. I have someone in my life like that. I have no doubt. Most of us do. Yep. Um, self-blame is a huge part of shame, as is addiction. Right. Sort of there are hidden ways that shame affects us. Okay. Um, being defensive. People that are super defensive are usually protecting themselves that from unpleasant sense. feelings. Mm-hmm. Because when they get in a disagreement, it becomes personal really quickly. And then the person ends up being tapped into their shame and when they just want to get away from it as quickly as possible. Right. Put up the wall quickly. Yes. And so, and we've, we talked a bit about perfectionism. It's an, you know, like the unrealistic desire to be perfect is a defense against feeling shame. And there's a lot of perfectionists in our world. There's it, a lot. In our society, we actually uh, admire people that are willing to do almost anything to achieve their goal. And a lot yeah. of times it's very unhealthy. Or givers, 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 yeah. givers. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people that are incessantly apologetic mm-hmm. do it because they feel so ashamed of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and procrastination is actually a huge symptom of shame. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that um, if you think about it, when you're procrastinating, it's usually because you're afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. So if you just don't do the thing that... Um, could cause you to feel failure then you don't have to entertain the shame of yeah. of being a failure yeah sometimes we procrastinate because we're bored mm-hmm. with whatever the task is that you know we yeah. have to do that's a little bit different but generally it's a sign that um that there's big fear that's getting in your way because most people i know do not like that feeling of procrastinating yeah they look at themselves as being lazy and it has nothing to do with laziness yeah it has to do with fear that makes sense. Yeah, if you think about it from from that perspective. Um, shame-based behavior, again, you feel worthless. You're always worrying about what other people are thinking about you, afraid to look stupid, um, lots of negative self-talk, criticizing yourself. Gosh. That sort of thing. And um, then you get really mad um, when your shame is triggered because it makes you feel so uh, so bad about yourself. So now double shame. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. If you grow up with shame as a child, it's not unusual to struggle with feelings of chronic emptiness and isolation. Well, and that's where most of it starts, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So yes. basically, you start out lonely and yes. isolated, and that's and it just how, makes it worse. Yeah. And then people start to notice your discomfort, and they shame you for being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and so it creates a. An endless cycle. Brene Brown, I don't know if you know yep. her. She's famous 
she's yeah uh, person in the world yeah she thinks that if you put shame in a petri dish uh there are three things that um, can help it grow exponentially and those three things are secrecy silence and judgment secrecy silence and judgment yeah and those are the things that that accelerate feelings of shame and those are the things you want to jump onto if you're already feeling shameful yes right? yeah not keeping secrets yeah. from yourself right and not remaining silent yeah and trying to avoid being self-critical. Wow, those are some hard tasks. To it's really time. hard. It's, I mean, look, it's it, as common as it is. It's very prevalent, right? And What's the mother load? Yes, um, when kids witness domestic abuse, mm-hmm. when they're rejected by their peers, when they're neglected, uh, even in situations where there's inconsistent or unpredictable parenting. You know, when the, everything is sort of chaotic. Uh, if your parent has mental health issues, a lot of times you end up feeling horribly ashamed. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, there is one lesson in shame that I think is really important. Um, because shame fosters the belief that we're to blame and that we're utterly, utterly powerless in most situations. Okay. So learning how to recognize that, uh, that you're not powerless and that you do have options. Mm-hmm. You were as a kid, and that helplessness goes par- carries through into adulthood. So part of what people have have to come to terms with is the idea that that their feelings that they're feeling of shame are being triggered from the past. Yeah, that is all about the little kid inside of them that feels horribly ashamed of him or herself. Right, and that it's not an adult feeling; it's left over from being a kid. That's such a hard sort of cross in the road. You know, which to, to sort of understand that it's all from a child, but you already feel so shameful about everything to right. really take a pragmatic step back uh-huh. and say, this isn't about me. This is about the past. Right. But well, how, how do people do that? Well, in my professional world, that's why I use a lot of hypnosis, because Shame is a visceral feeling that you can feel inside your body. Yes, I know. I felt that at the beginning of the podcast. Right. So doing hypnosis can help you connect with the shame on a really deep level and release it from your body. Yeah. And that's what helps resolve trauma. Do all people know they have shame in their body or do they see it as something else? I think that most of the time people don't like to feel what's in their body. Mm -hmm. And so we do everything we can to avoid it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think our whole society is based on avoidance. Yeah. I mean, if you ask the average person if they're lonely or they have enough love in their life, they'll just make a joke or say, yeah, yeah it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, because but even those that really peel back the layers, let's say they, you know, they'll say, okay, I have a drug problem or I have a relationship problem or whatever. Like, and then they want to take it a step back. Do you think most people get down to like, this is the core shame component or do you think they'll always kind of blame it on something else well what i try to help people understand is that um, when you feel embarrassment or humiliation that a lot of times it's because you're feeling ashamed of yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and people don't recognize that you know when you're embarrassed or you feel humiliated that it's related to shame that yeah so part of it is help is educational in a certain way to help people understand a lot of their feelings are based in abuse neglect combination, whatever it might be, that has led them to feel like they don't deserve to be loved. Are people surprised? A lot of times, yeah. Especially men when I, I'm able to help them understand how much fear is driving them. Mm-hmm. Because most people, 
when I talk about fear, I'm not afraid. Yeah. And I don't think consciously people realize right. how, how much fear so, drives their lives. Yeah, I think you're right. Most companies are, are fear-based. Mm-hmm. Most relationships are fear-based. Mm-hmm. It's all about wanting to preserve whatever self-esteem and uh, feelings of goodness that you have. Again, part of how I help people understand that shame is underlying a lot of right. the way that they feel about themselves. It's something that's really important for people to understand. It's a very toxic feeling. It's probably one of the worst feelings we can have because, so. you know, when you have that feeling in your stomach, you just want to get away. Yes. You just want to run from yourself, yes. get away from yourself. And again, it can lead you to feel really bad about yourself as a person. I mean, that's really the the bottom line is that it just makes you feel not bad about your behavior, but bad about who you are. Mm-hmm. And there's a really big difference because you can always apologize and make amends for your behavior. Right. It's really hard to forgive yourself and get to a place where you're not continually living in that shame and to try to forgive the people that caused the shame yeah, and the people that you've hurt as a result of your right. shame. Yeah, that's the next step, right? Yeah. Forgiving. Yes, absolutely. Because it can lead you to feel so inferior about yourself and inadequate because those are the underlying things. And that, that's where it all starts. That people, Yeah, I mean, the impact is huge. It causes a lot of withdrawal and um, addiction, as we said, bullying. And for some people, it inflates their ego in a way that I don't think it's, I don't think people can develop narcissistic personality disorder over the course of their life. I think you're either born with it or not. Mm-hmm. But the severity of it, generally speaking, has to do with the way you're raised. Okay. So uh, if you have a propensity toward having a personality disorder, and you want to make it bloom mm-hmm. and shame that person, <laughs> which shame. I don't think is a really good idea. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> um, do you have any questions that are in your mind about some of what we've talked about? No, I just, I, it's, and I also feel like shame is just one of those things that you don't ever really think about. I feel right. like you go through life and you, you know, you can talk about anxiety and depression and narcissism, but uh-huh. you don't ever really peel it all the way back to there. And then right. when you do start talking about it, and you know, it would be interesting to see what our listeners have to say about it. It's a, as you said, it's a visceral feeling. You know, it's just something that people should get comfortable with so uh-huh. they can act around it and help it and make, make it better for them and get in touch with where the shame lies in their body. But it's, um, it's, it's, really interesting that everything sort of goes back to that and i don't know you always think oh it's because he's anxious or he's got a drug problem or you know Uh but it's like no no it's it's it all comes down to this one thing and how someone feels about themselves and yes we can solve that work on that we can make the world a better place i think that's true i mean again i can't tell you how many people have come to see me suffering from depression Mm mm-hmm and they feel so ashamed of the, the fact that they've not been able to use willpower to overcome depression. Oh, goodness. And feel like such a failure. How, how come I've been able to use my willpower to come overcome almost anything in my life? But I can't overcome my depression mm. with willpower. And my response is, well, the last time anybody overcame depression with willpower was never. And the person <laughs> starts laughing because they realize that it's not the right tool for the job. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't will it yourself out of a depression. Right. You have to be willing to look at what it is that 
um, has created it, whether it's biological, uh, psychological, or both. Mm -hmm. But shame is a huge thing that um, people have to come to terms with. And, and like, there's lots of people that I believe could use medicine on occasion oh, to treat yeah. their depression. And mm -hmm. some people are so ashamed mm -hmm. of the idea that they might need a neurotransmitter aid in some sort. Now, if they had diabetes, they wouldn't be ashamed nope. of it. I know. But because it, it affects the way that you feel, we have such deep prejudice and are made to feel so ashamed about a chemical imbalance that that we have some ability to treat. Yeah. So, I mean, again, another example of how we're made to feel weak yeah. and pathetic because of our vulnerability. Yeah, you're right. So I guess what I would love everybody to consider is that even though we have become predators through our development of weapons and the way we live in the world, we're really not predators by nature. We're prey. Yeah. We have very short nails and no, no fangs. Right, right. And so we're really we're designed slow. to take care of each other and live with each other. Yes. I mean, if you look at monkeys, the only monkeys that are excluded from the group are the adolescent males, which are a pain in the ass, they and everybody knows that, right? <laughs> because they want to have sex with the with the with the females and the older males. They don't want any part of those little <laughs> those little bastards get in the way. And the sick are excluded because they consume resources. Yeah, but you know they're all over each other. Monkeys don't have condos; they sleep all over each other because right, right. it's the only way to be safe. Yeah, I remember when Reagan was president, he was talking about you know peace through strength. Mm -hmm. Right, we just need to have more nuclear weapons than mm -hmm. the than the Russians, and then we're safe. We have the ability to kill everything and every life form on this planet. Maybe we should work together to be careful. <laughs> yeah, but that would never happen because right. you know, you're if you're a man, you can't admit vulnerability. Right. You know, it follows every aspect of our world. Yeah. No, I think it's just raising awareness. Yeah. Around compassion and vulnerability and yeah. shame and everything else is, you know, move us in the right direction. So if you're a parent, please don't ever say to your kid, you should be ashamed of yourself. That is probably one of the worst things you could ever say to your yeah. kid. And Dana says, don't co-sleep, but I'm not sure. I believe that one. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you I'm right. I'm just going to tell you I have strong opinions about everything. But I think everybody already knows that anyway. So <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, yes, Justina. Always you. appreciate your willingness oh, to come and happy to be here and hang out. Because uh, super important. Yeah, it's Thank great. you. Thank you. We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.